You're listening to The Conservative Conscience. In Washington, politicians are full of half-truths and hot air. The Conservative Conscience is here to help you cut through the rhetoric and noise and explore the politically right way to think about the issues. You'll dive into one of the most insightful conservative minds in America, Conservative Review Senior Editor Daniel Horowitz. Using pure common sense and ignoring the groupthink, Daniel breaks down the major issues in Washington. You are now entering The Conservative Conscience. And welcome back to The Conservative Conscience. This is your host, Daniel Horowitz, here on November 20th, a bright new holiday week. And yes, as I sound, I am losing my voice here today, which is why we're going to bring in a special guest in one moment. Um, First of all, I really want to wish you all a happy National Transgender Remembrance Day. This is what our buddies at the State Department and Tillerson are focused on. But we're going to discuss today what they are not focused on. Sadly, this week began with very tragic news. Um, Southwest Texas, 30 miles approximately from our border, Rogelio Martinez, a brave border agent, um, was brutally killed in what is presumably an ambush of, by, by illegal aliens. Uh, his partner was seriously injured and is, is in a hospital. And this is really, or should really be, the biggest news of the day. But of course, you're not going to hear about it um, in the mainstream media, even even a lot of the mainstream conservative media, uh, because we're all focused on the sideshow of politics. We're not focused on the core function the core job of the federal government's sovereignty is security. We have a war at our southern border. For a long time, I've been meaning to bring on the editor of Breitbart, Texas, Brandon Darby. He's just done phenomenal work on the border, drug cartels, and what's going on there. And I figured, what better day to bring him on, especially as I'm losing my voice and I need someone to help uh, help take over and co-host today. So with no further ado, to discuss more of what's, what went down here specifically and what what we can and should be doing at the border, it is my pleasure to bring aboard the conservative conscience, Brandon Darby. Hey, Brandon, how are you? Hey, Daniel, thanks for having me on. No, really great to ha- have you with us today. Um, like I said, I'm losing my voice, so I'm going to need you to to kick into high gear here. If you could just start off with just a brief description, we'll link to in show notes um, your article at Breitbart Texas describing what happens to this border agent. But if you could just give a little background and what you know so far as we stand here Monday afternoon. Well, uh, initially, uh, what we knew and, and what we reported was that very early on Sunday, November 19th, very early in the morning, uh, two agents uh, responded to some form of activity uh, in the Big Bend sector, uh, roughly 30-something miles from the border in a town called Van Horn. Uh, near a town called Van Horn, uh, Long I-10, um, and and the, one of those agents ended up dead, and another ended up uh, hospitalized with serious injuries. Uh, that is uh, what we initially knew. Well, as the day trickled along, uh, the FBI took over the investigation into what occurred. Uh, there was a massive uh, uh Manhunt uh, in response that's still going on, by the way, that that's very rare to see in a border region how large this is. Uh, but federal authorities still refuse to say that there was a murder or to say what happened. Well, thankfully, agents of the National Border Patrol Council said, wait a minute, 
like like these guys were ambushed and, and attacked by uh, illegal aliens with rocks. They were they were the the skull was crushed in. Like this is these are the circumstances um, of what occurred. So we we ran with that. We we did not make that assertion. Uh, we attributed it to the National Board of Patrol Council and to other agents on the ground. Uh, because that's their assertion, uh, but it's an assertion I believe to be true. Um, and there's a number of reasons that I do. Some I, I state and some I don't state because of how I know those details, right? And 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 the damage I think sharing some of those details would do to sources and what have you. Um, and so t- at this moment, uh, you know, 24 hours, more than 24 hours has passed, and the FBI still has not made a statement other than to say that an incident occurred and they're investigating it. Um, and they won't make a statement as to what occurred, but we can look at their activity and what's happening and we can kind of get a gist that I can tell you that there have been multiple times, uh, that border patrol agents have fallen and hit their heads and, um, and slipped and, uh, in some cases not remembered what occurred initially. And they did not, uh, federal authorities did not spend millions upon millions of tax dollars flying over the area, searching the area, uh, spreading out agents of a plethora of agencies across the area. Um, so, so this is where we are right now. We're, we're in a place where, uh, People like me don't know if if there's some legitimate reason that uh, the FBI and CBP are not releasing information um, or if they're simply doing it for political purposes, which was very common during the Obama era. In the Obama era, there was a downplaying of anything bad that happened on the border. So it's possible that that's happening again. We just simply don't know right now. And we're just given, uh, you know, giving these agencies time to, to, uh, you know, figure out what, what, what they need to do. I can tell you that they at least think there's a possibility. I think they know that the agents were attacked, but there's at least a possibility, uh, in their minds that this happened. Uh, so I know that they have not warned local communities, uh, to be careful. There might be a group of murderous, uh, people from a foreign country, strolling around our country. Um, I know that they have not warned people and I find that to be somewhat unforgivable, even if they think there's a chance that it happened. Um, so we just got to sit back and wait. You know, you know, Brandon, you're, you're alluding to something really important here when you say, uh, you know, and, and I, and I see you're being very careful because look, it's a very fluid and we got to get to the bottom of the details, but we know from past experience that somehow the border issue, which should be a universal issue, always gets wrapped up inextricably in, in the politics of immigration. And what's, what I find amazing is that, you know, we, we go overseas, we have wars all over the place. We don't even know what we're doing in Iraq and Afghanistan. Now we're in Niger and Yemen and Somalia. Uh, one study from Brown University released last week said we spent $4 trillion with this uh, Islamic urban renewal projects over there. But yet, when we have a war right on our border, um, you, you know, to me, the hallmark of a first world country versus a developing country, what distinguishes it from a developing country is that you have full sovereignty over every inch of your, certainly interior, but even border. And yet here, we clearly don't. We clearly have a problem with drug cartels, um, forgetting about how much immigration you want or don't want. But yet it's not universal in our body politic to deal with it. Why do you think that's the case? 
Well, I, I think there's a, a few things going on. I, I think the first thing going on is that most of the people speaking about the border um, really don't know what the hell they're talking about. And, and I hate to say that in an ugly way, but it's actually true. So what you have is you have, uh, we have a media situation right now where most people get their information by watching the television. The television gives pundits, you know, 30 seconds to 60 seconds to talk <laughs> and express a point. And most of those pundits just Google what people like you and I write and they don't know what they're talking about. So, so, so you have that at the same time, you have a polarized political situation where, where one side insists the border is damaged and, and unsafe and, and a war zone. The other side insists it's peaceful and, and okay. Um, and, uh, both of those are true and untrue, right? Some areas of the border are safe. Some of them are not. Some areas of the border, the cartels don't really mess with people because there's a different cartel controlling that area. In some areas, especially south of Texas, we have very brutal cartels like Lozetas and, and the Gulf Cartel. And uh, they are very extremely brutal, and they make sure that brutality is expressed upon the general populace, the average citizen, not just uh, towards other drug cartel members or drug runners, right? Um, so you have all of these factors that play into people making generalizations. Um, they see a 2,000-mile border, you know, 1,993-mile border, as though it's somehow this monolithic community or monolithic place, and it isn't. There is different regions. There's some cities uh, oppose border security because they have a sister city that they've always seen for the last hundred years as their same community, as two parts of a similar, a same community. Well, they're obviously going to resist. Um, they're obviously going to resist uh, dividing that a permanent structure that divides the community. And they're like a loved one who can't accept that their brother or sister has a drug addiction. And every time the brother or sister tries to get sober, they welcome the brother and sister back in the home, uh, forgetting, you know, the precedent or forgetting the, uh, the history that, uh, that every time the brother or sister comes in, they take everything they own. Right. And that's like El Paso and Juarez, like Juarez, is, is not a safe place, but the people of El Paso, because they are similar communities and they are sister communities, they're just not at a place to really, you know, cut off Juarez yet and allow wow. uh, uh, some massive struggle. So there's all of these complex things, some which make you sound like a lefty, if you say, some which make you sound like a, a right-wing authoritarian, if you say, and a lot of them are all true, right? But, but there's not any effort to, to break that on. down and have a deep, a deeper conversation. And then at the same time, you have that dynamic occurring, right? You have these generalizations being made. At the same time you have that, you have a situation on the right uh, where, um, how do I say this? I'm trying to say it's in the, most le the least controversial way possible, but I'm just going to try to be honest. You have a situation on the right where you have, you know, traditional conservatism, and then you have more of the 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 Austrian economic folks, right? Like who, and like it or not, those are not, those situations, those ideologies are not congruent. They're oil and water. Um, and, and there's some areas 
people can agree on, but but not a whole lot. Uh, and 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 those those disagreements actually have tentacles that reach out everywhere. So back in the Obama years, uh, when you know when Malkin was really getting her start, and and when when Levin was growing, and and when Andrew Breitbart started uh, big government, and you know everyone on the right was in a foxhole together, trying right. to build a movement, trying to trying to build a movement and support each other and um and uh challenge the left and the left media well as time went on that movement you know began to to win and begin to do okay and was no longer in a foxhole was no longer under siege and so the differences between us began to become apparent and that's kind of where we're at right now. Some people want to blame it on Trump. Or, it's not Trump. It's, what it is is there are, there are traditional conservatives uh, who respect the concept of place and loyalty to place. And then there are people who are much, who are very far on the other side with Austrian economics who don't respect the concept of place. So if, if I respect my community, my place, and I feel an obligation to my place and to keep my place okay, Right. Then I'm going to be called. I'm going to if, if, by the other side of the right, the more dominant side right now. I'm going to be called a liberal because I, I want to I want to see economic stimulus or I want to see um, uh, economic development or I want to I won't just accept what the free market says. And, and as Kevin Williamson in the National Review wrote, just get a U-Haul and move. And, and, and so so those people are not necessarily going to respect place as much as I would more on the traditional conservative side. They're going to say free market. They're going to say, so what if China and Russia make all of our food and if everything's made there, that's the free market tough. Compete or die. And, and I don't look at it that way. Well, here's the catch, though. Those same people oftentimes will engage in supporting foreign wars and, and, and supporting foreign intervention, supporting spending trillions in economic development in Islamic nations halfway across the world, are actually on the other side of it, almost completely on the other side of the so, planet. You, you know, just and, but, but then if I but then if but then if I want to spend money on 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 uh, on, on things that would ch- actually challenge cartels in the border region, both in the U.S. or even in Mexico then I'm somehow a liberal, even though what I would spend of, of taxpayer dollars is a significant portion, uh, percentage of what they're actually supporting spending in the Middle East or in Africa. or in, and, and this is where things get weird, because if you don't respect the politics of place, if you see everyone who supports their community first as America first nationalists, isolationists, well, then you don't really support the concept of, of a border because you don't respect place. Exactly. And that's where, that's where the far right and the left actually start to merge and agree is that, you know, they start to say, hey, wait a minute, like, like uh, we're one big amorphous world, one big amorphous market. And it's like, well, if you think that way, why would you support border security? Why would you focus on things, on the right. problems that result from not having enough border security? Because you, you wouldn't focus on that because it challenges your worldview. And, and, that's, and that's, that's where the problem is with the conservatives. And, the, and I'm sorry, I'm, I'm doing this, but with conservatives sure. and, and then the far right neoliberal or neo, yeah, neo, uh, not neoliberals, but oh, I guess more classical liberals. Right, right. The problem is 
in this is that we are members of an economy, right? We are parts of an economy. Our financial economy really matters. They're right. But the problem is, is you have to balance that with the recognition that we are also citizens of a nation. We are also members of a place. We also use our tax dollars, and maybe we want to help the world, but ultimately we expect our government to help us first. Sure, and obviously, and, and then the world. the the ultimate The ultimate market is you know built upon private property rights. So you got to have your private property. And I'm thinking, you know, again, going back to this juxtaposition that you mentioned, so many foreign wars. We do we spend so much money because maybe maybe if we get the right people in Nigeria and hold the right ground in Yemen and Somalia and Kabul, somehow it won't affect us. Even even though ultimately it only affects us if they immigrate here, and it's an immigration problem. But then, ironically, at our borders, see, this is what I don't understand. And 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 I get you know people want open borders for economic reasons, but when you get to a point where you have your own property that it's just no longer safe, that's what's amazing that it's become that political to that extent. You know, I messaged you early earlier today, um, and, and I, I hopefully you could speak a little bit to the situation inland. You know, not just on the border, but I was surprised when he talked about Van Horn where this. Uh, attack seemed to have taken place that killed the border agent. It's about 30 miles into Texas. It's not right at the border. So, you, so it, Correct. so that that means if this indeed was an ambush, you have an ambush of foreign nationals on a border patrol agent 30 miles into our border, into our own property. Yes. Yeah, but this is not, this is, I mean, last month we broke the story and we had to prove it. It was very difficult to prove. I knew it forever, but we broke that, that one faction of the Sinaloa cartel was sending their scouts and their smugglers into our territory with AK-4 armed, with long guns, you know, some cases AK-47s. And I finally found, got video of it and proof of it, and photo, photographic evidence that this was occurring, and finally, after years of me trying, CBP, Customs and Border Protection, admitted, yes, this is happening. Only wow. once I had the photos. On our own soil. And, and, and it's soil. like, and this is on our own soil. And, but it's not, you know, th- that's what, the, that's what I'm, I'm trying to express to people, is that we're not, how do I say this, and, and I, I really do try to not be offensive. I try to be nice, and I try to, I try to be um, kind, but we are not talking about the U.S. border with Canada, right? It's a, that's a shared border between two nations where they have the rule of law existing on both sides, where the majority of people in both countries have, they have economic opportunities and they have the ability to have some form of redress when their governments do wrong or fleece them. Sure. We're not talking about the U.S. border with Canada. We're talking about the U.S. border with Mexico, Okay. And so the U.S. border with Mexico is a border with a country that has vast regions, entire states that are directly under the control of cartels or, if you want to be academic, transnational criminal organizations. It's Mexico. It's a nation where they're almost a failed narco state, where even their current president has direct ties with the very narco cartels that have killed roughly 125,000 human beings in the last 10 years and made missing 30 to 50,000 human beings who are just forever gone. 
that's what we're talking about when there's when there's such a, a disparity economically in the rule of law when there's such a disparity between two places you have to find ways you have to find ways to prevent that chaos from affecting the lives of your own citizens exactly. you have to and that's what that's where i wanted to take this conversation next brandon that you know you know i find it again astounding amazing how in the political class, both sides, both parties, they'll talk about, man, we wouldn't want to destabilize Iraq. We wouldn't want Afghanistan to be destabilized. And, you know, we left because, you know, you can't get more destabilized than it already is. But, um, you know, we, we don't want to destabilize Nigeria. And then we have this insane destabilization right on our border spilling into our own soil. Like you said, 125,000 people killed. You have Juarez. It's just the stone throws across the river. And, and it's, it, it's as bad as anything in the Middle East or, you know, in terms of violence. Um, what are some of the ideas based on your experience really traveling the border, living the area that you think as a matter of public policy that we should embrace um, in dealing with the border and and re, refo- refocusing our priorities. Well, okay, so here's, and, and a lot of people might not realize this, but for the last roughly four years of my life, okay, there, there are nine sectors on the southwest border. For the last four years of my life, I've spent at least 10 days a month traveling those nine sectors. Sometimes I hit one sector, sometimes I hit three, sometimes in those 10 days I've hit all nine. You know, listening to agents, listening to immigrants advocates, listening to drug counselors, listening to local police and local sheriffs, listening to federal agents. And then about two years ago, we started the Cartel Chronicles, so I started doing the same thing in Mexico. So we have the most comprehensive knowledge of the border region, which is not just the U.S. It's, the border region is composed of the U.S. side and the Mexico side. Sure. And we have the most complex knowledge of that, of that environment and that ecosystem, or, or the various ecosystems in that region. Then, then, and, I, I, and I don't say that to toot my own horn, even though it kind of does, but I mean, we just understand it. And, and, and it's myself and Ildefonso Ortiz, we just have a, a very, we're very intimately involved with that region. And what we've learned is that there are, in fact, some areas that need physical barriers. There are. We have some areas on our border with Mexico that have physical barriers, and they work very well. Some areas where they have different types of sure. physical barriers that don't work very well. Are you talking we about have Yuma, areas, Yuma and we, San Diego? Well, we, we have... We have areas where we, in San, the San Diego sector, part of the San Diego sector, we have a, a legitimate concrete wall that sure. works. And then we have other parts of the San Diego sector where we have just a primary fence that's four feet tall and it doesn't work. You go all the way to Yuma, there's a stretch of the Yuma sector that has a three-tiered fencing system, which is, I think, the most secured part of sure. the U.S.-Mexico border, and it and, works. And Brandon, w- 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 aren't, weren't those part of the 36 but, miles that but, but, we but started But listen building? now, listen, I, I want to get through this, though. I want to say this, because you, I could walk you down the line, and every 40 to 20 miles is different sure. of that 1,993, and I know it by memory. And, and what I'm telling you is this. 
is is even though physical barriers are necessary in some areas, they have a lot less to do with border security than a number of other things do. They even have, you know, border patrol agents themselves are vital in the way they're distributed and having more is actually necessary. But they themselves are, there, there is more we could do that would have more to do with border security than, than the, the agents or the, the barriers or even the technology itself. And that's what no one talks about. Like, we don't have enough U.S. Attorney's Office resources on the border. So they can't prosecute everyone who needs to be prosecuted under, like, broken windows theory. or They can't. Right. And not only that, the majority of people who come across the border, even if you build a wall to the moon, like, 5,000 times as intense as the DMZ in North Korea and South Korea between, on, the, on the 38th parallel, right? Even if you had that it would stop very little of the drugs and people coming into this country because the majority of narcotics and the majority of people who come illegally do not come between ports of entry. They come through the ports of entry. They, They either overwhelm our agencies or they pay people in those agencies. Public corruption is a major problem. And so even if you had the biggest, uh, there was just no way to get through except at ports of entry, it would still not change very much. So in order to address that, you have to increase the Federal Bureau of Investigation resources, and you have to increase Homeland Security investigation resources and IRS resources. And, I mean, go down the line because you have to be able to monitor these federal agents and make sure there's not public corruption or else you're not going to achieve much at all. And then in addition to those things, we look at Mexico. Our State Department, through the Merida Initiative, there's a program called INL, which is the International Narcotics and Law Enforcement. Okay. Yeah, I wanted you to talk about Merida. The the, the way that, that our State Department works, okay, is they actually end up protecting significant cartel figures. That's what they do. Because every, in a country where the majority of politicians are connected to the cartel, the only way that you can have good diplomacy with that country for trade is to, in fact, be lenient upon the cartels who are the lifeblood of how the Mexican politicians have money. And so the whole system is messed up. So border security has a lot more to do with that than it does with than it does with a wall or anything we actually do on our on our actual border between ports of entry and then you get into some really trippy stuff and you start going okay i know for a fact i used to hate cartels i hated cartels and now i'm like you know i hate a lot of the leadership but a lot of the people who are just the gunmen and the smugglers and the do you know what they grew up in a situation I am not joking you, and when I say poor, I'm talking poor. They grew up in a situation where they had no other mechanism to do well. They had no other mechanism to have a vehicle to feed their families, to feel like they had any power, any dignity as men. And, and so you start looking at that, and you're like, why are, we, you, why are we investing in the economic development of these countries across the world <laughs> 
when we're not investing in the economic development there. And in order to invest in the economic development, it requires security there. Sure. And in order for there to be security there, we have to go after cartels. But in order to go after cartels, we have to go after Mexican political figures. And you see, it starts to get very complicated, but ultimately what it boils down to is we will never secure the border. We will never limit the, 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 the heroin, the fentanyl, the methamphetamine coming from Mexico. It will never, the people coming, we will never limit that the way that we're doing this, no matter what we throw at the border. And then you get into pull and push factors in, in, in irregular migration, we call illegal immigration once they cross our border. You, you get into that, and that needs to be fixed too, you know? And there needs to be some really intense policies, which is and the only way you can engage in those really intense policies, regardless of what you think is right or wrong, because we do live in a country that is so divided where half of us feel one way and half of us feel another, the only way that you're going to get policy that, that limits illegal immigration, which is to say, hey, if you come here illegally, doesn't matter who you are, where you are, where you're from, why you came, you're going home right away. If you come twice, you're going to jail. Don't. The only way you're going to get that is by having legitimate, a uh, legitimate increase in heavily regulated worker programs. Like, like I mean, we, it, it's a complex issue, but there, it can be resolved and solved. It can be fixed. Um, but, but not with our current climate, because like I said, most of the people talking about it, talk about it for 30 seconds. They make sweeping generalizations that do not serve to inform the public. And people like me, like, like if Hannity said, and I love him, I'm not knocking Hannity, but if Hannity says, Hey, would you come on? I'm like, I'm not going to, I'm not going to fly to Dallas to be on your show for 30 seconds. Like, <laughs> like I would go talk to Charlie Rose or I would talk to you on this format because we can talk at we length. We can actually have a talk at length. Yep. But it has to happen that way. And this is the problem that we're in right now. We're in a problem where, where the, the politics around the issue the knee-jerk politics, the, the, the oversimplification, which is largely caused because of the way we do media. Sure. The culture, the media culture in our country. You know, the political culture in our country. And, and what you know, I someone can't say something nuanced. If they say something nuanced, it gets used against them in a primary session. In a primary season, in a primary, uh, you know, it's, it's just, just unbelievable. A little bit for our listeners. What I get from what you're saying is that, you know, whenever we discuss the border, immediately it gets, you know, involved with immigration politics, both right, left, everyone has their talking points. But what you're saying is there, there's something much deeper. We, we, we talk about our solution to the symptoms. Some, some of them are counterintuitive, amnesty, amnesty, or do this, or build a wall. But there's the source of the problem, and there's the use of statecraft to deal with the fact that we have a failed state on our border. You know, we all we have this national debate. We've had it for decades about should we engage in nation building? But putting that on aside for a minute, what we are doing is engaging in nation building around the world. But if I had to ask you, if you believe in nation building, what is the one nation you should build? It should be the one on our border, you know, that we should want um, – a stable Mexico that that's in the best interest Brother, of, if, of everyone. If Mexico was okay, if Mexico, Mexico has vast resources to do well. Sure. Oil. If Mexico was okay, nobody, even if we, we were able to make one state in Mexico. Okay. 
out of their 32 or 33, I believe. If Mexico were to be okay, everyone coming from the south of Mexico would stay in Mexico. Exactly. We, we, and we not only that, but everyone in problem. Mexico would stay in Mexico. And and it's just it, it it's almost to me, um, that that's it, it's so clear to me what 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 the things are to be done. But even in a situation where my former employer who started this cartel and border project with me was in the West wing. You, you know, to me, and it's, it's kind of like similar to something that Kofi Annan once said, it's like, I have a plan and I can see how to fix all of this. But the problem is, is I have to implement the plan through people, you know? <laughs> and, 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 and I think that's what the problem is here. Um, I really do. And I think in our current climate, we're not going to have a fix to this. We can keep addressing symptoms and we, we can, we can keep addre- addressing the consequences and trying to limit consequences. It'll just pop up somewhere else uh, as, as long as we want to, but that we're not going to have a fix in our current environment because no one's being honest. No one, no one can be honest. If I ran for office, like things I said in this very interview, even though I'm advocating a right of center, strong, it'd be very difficult to call me an open borders advocate, right? But that someone would take some slice of what I just said in this interview because there's nuance and I'm talking in detail and they would use it to like make campaign ads. You see that nobody wants to be that person. So they can only push their talking points. They can only push their talking points. Yeah, it's definitely a political problem, but I think it's also – it's an intellectual problem too. Like you said, everyone will bother. I mean, I actually, I think they don't bother anymore, but originally to understand, well, there's 15 tribes in Afghanistan and here are the dynamics and you win hearts and minds and we got to build up their economy and this and that. And the problem here is we don't even think about it. No one's even discussing this from a total, like you're saying, you know, put on a shelf what you believe with amnesty, security. I have very strong beliefs on that. But this is aside from it, and really the antecedent to the whole problem is that if you just took a fraction of the funds and focus that we uh, expend towards who knows what we're doing in the Middle East and actually focus on a stable Mexico, um, you know, we hear from a lot of uh, bleeding hearts in, in – uh, you know, in our country, you're not allowed to care about your own people, evidently, but it's all for the Mexican people. All right. Well, if you care about the Mexican people, you should want to save them from the cartels and the violence. And the only way to do that is not to continue just the circuitous smuggling amnesty cycle, which is only going to fuel it. Um, you got to address the source of the problem. Um, we're running. But here's the problem, sure. brother. Here's the problem is that many of our donors on the Republican side they have business models that are based off of the cheap labor and exploitation of foreign labor. And not only that, but many of the people on the left side, they don't want the people of Mexico to stay, the poor of Mexico to stay in Mexico. They want them to come here and vote. Yep. And see, everyone has an interest here. And in the middle, somewhere in the middle of all those people are the majority of us, which are normal people who either think, hey, we're not helping, it's unhumanitarian, there are, you know, we're not helping American 
America's poor workers and we're not helping people in Mexico by having this unfettered immigration. And then you have the left who honestly believe that they're doing it to help those people. And somewhere in the middle of the two extremes are all of the rest of us who are like, you know, uh, this is a complex issue. I understand why they come, but at the same time, here are economic consequences. At the same time, blah, blah. You know, but, but we're not the ones running the show, brother. The ones running the show are the people on the extremes. There's some, some people want voters and some people want exploited foreign labor. That's the problem. And, and, and it's a significant issue to deal with. And I don't quite know how to resolve that politically, but I do know that doing things like this where we talk together and have people consider this is, I think, a good start. No, exactly. And that's what I always say. My motto here is, you know, good policy doesn't fit on a bumper sticker. That's why we have this long uh, um, forum where you don't have that 30-second soundbite. I've I've quit the Fox circuit. I can't stand it. One more quick question. We're running out of time. Um, But you mentioned something I was very interested in. Um, and I wanted to know kind of what the state of play is, what you think needs to be done. The Merida Initiative, my understanding is from FY 2008 to FY 2017, we've spent about $2.8 billion. Supposedly, it was to clean up the corruption, um, tackle crime in Mexico. But clearly, those funds haven't been landing where they need to. Just what, what, what's the basic background and where that program stands? Well, I mean, there's some aspects of the program that work, but we have to remember something. The majority of the dollars that go into that to the Mexican government for initiatives never get to the people they're supposed to get to. People at the top take those dollars, and by the time they get to their law enforcement agencies along the border, they're left without graphite for taking fingerprints. They're left without training. They never get – they have to buy a lot of their own paper to make copies. Wow if they even have a copy machine. I mean, it's that type of poverty. So basically what we're doing is we're spending billions of U.S. dollars or hundreds of millions at least, you know, because I think it's 1.2 billion. So we're spending hundreds of millions of U.S. dollars as a sick, indirect bribing system to Mexican leaders for diplomacy. That's what we're doing. And if you really, I can make that argument and and no one could really argue with me if we were having a live argument because I would, I would eviscerate them on that because it's exactly what we're doing. When the last governor of Coila, you know, when the, the, the money that the last governor of Coila received from the United States of America, like, did that make it to his law enforcement agencies? No. Where did it go? To the cartels, you know, where did you know? it go? You know, keeping keeping in mind that his brother, the former governor, was a Los Zetas governor. Wow. Keeping in mind that that Los Zetas governor, once he left the governorship, he then went to run the presidential campaign of the current Mexican president, Peña Nieto. And now the last three governors of Tamaulipas are all fugitives from U.S. justice because of laundering money and working with the, the cartels. And I could go down the line. It's like, where did the money go? So it's great that, our, that we had good diplomacy and that our, we got good trade policy. But, but the Merida Initiative, it, all it, it, it is actually subsidies to U.S. businesses who want to trade with Mexico. It's, it's a form of subsidy. And this is where we get into this really weird pickle we talked about earlier with the politics of place and conservatism. And someone say, oh, you're being a Democrat. It's like, no, I'm not being a Democrat. But what I'm saying is if, if we quit subsidizing the, the cartel-connected government of Mexico on behalf of certain U.S. industries and businesses, 
if you took one-tenth of that and, like, did some economic development in my community out here in rural West Texas, we'd probably give you, you know, $10 back for every dollar you spent. And so this is where we start to get into these really weird arguments and complex arguments on the right is much of our foreign policy, much of our military intervention, the argument could be made and made very well that so much of that is actually just a form of subsidizing certain circles of wealth in the U.S., <laughs> certain people, certain groups. And, and, and you know, and, I'll leave it at you, that. No, Brandon, I'm glad you mentioned cer- the word certain because to me, the social compact, you know, the whole basis of government is built upon representing the whole of the people. And to me, there's nothing more representative of the whole of the union than national sovereignty, than having a secure border, um, having sovereignty where we could enjoy every part of our country without, you know, obviously we have domestic problems, domestic crime, but without having foreign nationals um, and drug cartels operating on our shores. And and, and that's what, so what you're saying is, you know, you retarget some of the funding towards an ideal that really represents the whole of the people. Exactly. That's it. That's 100% it. It's, it's a situation where, you know, people can say it sounds liberal to say it. It does not. It is actually a very traditional conservative position that we have. We are members of a place. We are members of a family. We are members of a place. We are members of a community. We are members of a region of a state. Then we are members of a nation. We are citizens of a nation. That's what we are. Now, after that, we are members of a global, of, a, of, of, of the world, right? We, we are on, in this world together. But, but what's happening is that corporations and others with wealth are exploiting people. That's what they're doing by making us think that it's, it's somehow more conservative to put the fact that we're members of the world ahead of the fact that we're members of a place and citizens of a nation. And when you, when you really boil all of that down, it, it turns into some things that are not so good for you and me. It might be good for some people, but it, I don't feel like I'm benefiting much from it personally. Um, I appreciate that I can go buy cheap Chinese products, but honestly, <laughs> I'd be okay paying $10 more for a table well, if it were made here. Hey, like, hey I, I'd know, be okay paying, paying 10 cents more per head of lettuce. Um, rather than having our communities overrun by the major problems we see, the gangs, the, the, the violence, yeah. the education, um, the criminal justice or, or system. What if, yeah, what, what if we taught our communities, what if we encouraged a culture where people tried to grow more food locally? Obviously, we're not going to grow avocados in Minnesota, you know, but, but there's probably a lot of things they can grow in Minnesota that, that, that they can't grow in California, you know? So it's like, it's like, what if we encourage that kind of culture, you know, not only maybe privately or maybe even encourage that through some, some t- form of grants, maybe, but even if we just did it privately, what if we encourage a culture where we had more local food production, where we had more, uh, you know, furniture restoration, product restoration, and not a culture where everything was some, dis- you know, we need everything as cheap as possible from China at the expense of our communities being destroyed. And, and, and I'm not trying to scapegoat China. Um, it's just a, it's a, it, right now we have so balance. much that is made in China that it, it actually is a good example. But, 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 you know, there's so many conversations to be had. And unfortunately, 
I mean, you start to try to have them and you're a prairie socialist or you're a, you're a, you're a leftist or you're a right-wing Nazi or you're a, and, and I've really been trying lately to call that out and go, Hey dude, tone down the knee jerk stuff. Like, let's have a conversation. And they're like, well, you're just like Bernie Sanders. I'm like, how am I just like Bernie Sanders exactly? They're like, you just said you supported your public school. And I said, that makes me Bernie Sanders now? Like, because I, I recognize that we're in a situation where most of the rural communities in the U.S. don't have charter schools, don't have private schools to choose from. And I recognize that we've gotten into a situation where most of our U.S. rural communities' largest employer is the public school. And I'm saying we can't just gut it. We have to we have to look at some we have to look at the consequences. We have to make sure that 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 we're not just completely devastating entire communities and acting like Mao Zedong, even though our, our economic ideologies are totally different. Mao Zedong had this this uh, this utopian view of like what what his uh, his this this dedication to his what the utopian economy would look like, and he didn't care who it affected in the process of getting there, even if it meant entire communities had to relocate. You know, we don't want to be that person. You know, well, no, and, and this, so we we have these complex arguments that need to be made and discussions that need to be held, and it's not going to tone down, brother. The far right and the far left and all these people in positions of leadership are going to keep on, uh, you know, knee jerking on each other, and so until just normal people start to have some conversations and not dehumanize each other, we're going to have some real, you know, we're going to have issues, and that that's true whether we're talking about the border. It's true whether we're talking about economic matters and whether we're talking about public schools versus vouchers versus charters versus private schools. Uh, there are extremely good right-of-center reasons to believe in vouchers. There are also some pretty damn good right-of-center reasons not to, especially in the state of Texas. And calling each other a liberal or a Nazi because we feel one way or the other is not going to encourage that discussion to be had. Good stuff, Brandon. As always, we want to bring you back again because we do need this long, thoughtful discussion. Thanks so much for your time. Will you come back again? Of course. Thank you so much. Awesome. Folks, that was Brandon Darby, the editor of Breitbart Texas, discussing in long form the crisis at the border, where it comes from, what it means, and what we can do about it. Um we're going to have a lot more this week, broadly on the border issue. We're also going to delve into some of the details of the tax plan, um, which we forgot to get to last week. We're way over time here. Folks, thanks for tuning in again. This has been another episode of The Conservative Conscience. Conservative Conscience.